Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 85. My name is Crosser. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1995 movie Before Sunrise. So, Charles, tell us about it. Okay, so Ethan Hawke's character has one night left in Vienna before he flies out back to America. And he meets a stranger, a strange girl on the train before he gets into Vienna, invites her to join him in his last night in Vienna. And they form a really strong connection and talk about life and they explore Vienna before they inevitably have to part ways. But before they part, they decide to meet again in six months' time. And then uh, I guess we'll see what happens There is a sequel. Later, yeah. Yeah, two sequels. Yeah. Um, this was my pick. It was. So I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, the, that's the reason I pick most movies that I pick. <laughs> I just like them. <laughs> um, but that's fair. This one specifically, I wanted to compare and contrast with Lost in Translation. Because we watched Lost in Translation a couple months ago, and we didn't like it that much. And I think it's one of the few movies we watched where we like universally just came down against the film, <laughs> for the most part. Um, but this one takes a similar stance insofar as that it's two strangers meeting in a strange town that just kind of wander around for a while, and it's like this plotless movie, and then it's just kind of over. And I think Before Sunrise is much more effective than Lost in Translation, and it feels like a good learning opportunity to try to understand why this movie works where Lost in Translation maybe didn't work for us. Um, also, uh, we haven't done any link later, and he's an important director. Like he's mm -hmm. he pioneered, not necessarily pioneered his style, but was certainly a major player in this kind of '90s indie, you know, ensemble or character-focused type of movie that feels like it just doesn't have a script. Um, he was a major, had a major role in that development. Um, and also, we haven't done many romances at all. I think a lot of like pure romances just kind of don't exist, or if they do exist, they maybe aren't that great. Um, <laughs> but this is first and foremost a, a romantic movie, and I think it's that's a major genre, and it's important to watch the good examples of that. Um, so yeah, I like this movie. I, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. What do you think of this one, Crossman? I found it insufferable. Yeah, I bet. It's <laughs> boring and the characters are vapid and I think um, we can talk about that because um, I think that there is I think they I think I, I agree right they are but I think that the movie is doing something other than just like here's some vapid characters um, what, what about you Charles this one super boring because nothing happened I actually love this movie really okay. yeah I wouldn't expect to be into this kind of movie but I'm I really fair, love yeah, this I wouldn't expect you to be into this I, kind of movie I really either. got into like the characters and the dialogue which is funny to say after you guys have dunked on them but <laughs> no, I really I, got into their exchanges uh, I agree I was really drawn in by the you know topics that they discussed and things like that the connection that they made um, and like something about this movie it elicited a lot of like feelings that I really love to experience, I yes, guess, I is the way I could describe it. Um, there's a few. So one of them is like, you know, traveling in a foreign land mm -hmm. and um, having, feeling that sort of freedom of travel where you don't feel like you're beholden to the responsibilities of your day-to-day -day life. And so you can just kind of walk around and do whatever in this town, right? And that's one of my favorite things about travel. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing I love is when you feel like you're making a really good connection with someone you've just met, right? Yeah. And that, that's always a great feeling. It's before you've kind of figured out things that you're tired of the other person, and so it's just a really good time through and through, and so they had that. Uh, and then the third one I could think of is this feeling of 
kind of being alone late at night. I know they weren't alone, but like they were kind of elicited that feeling of being alone late at night when nobody's around and just kind of, you know, just being by yourself. Um, So all these things put together that, you know, I got to experience them all watching this movie. It felt very immersive. It kind of took me away to this place and, you know, it was very lovely to go through, I think. Yeah, I think that's the right word for this movie. It feels lovely, right? Like, this, yeah. is, this is a lovely movie. Because uh, I, I, I feel essentially the same way. Like, I think that it, it's not so much a movie of moments. It, it, it's a movie of moments in that it's like, here's a bunch of stuff that happened, right? But it's a movie where it's much more about, yeah, with what feelings does this collection of things draw out of you more than what are these actual specific things. Um, and I like that about it. And I think that that speaks to a lot of control on Linklater's part. And I think a consciousness in these performances that is underrated, um, and a structure to this film that is underrated. Uh, so yeah, I guess it, it does mostly land for me. And in terms of the vapidness of the characters, I, I mean, I get it, but they're also like 23 years old, and it feels like they're 23 years old in a way that's very sincere to me, and in, in a way that is. That where the film isn't mocking them for having these conversations that 23-year-olds have had for years and years, and that it's kind of embracing that and finding the beauty in that. And I like that about it, as opposed to Lost in Translation, where it felt a lot more phoned in when they were doing those things, when, 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 she, when she was talking about like how uh, Bill Murray, you know, is, is, he's scared that he has kids now. It's like, okay. Right, whereas this movie, I feel like there's, it's a much more thoughtful and endearing take on these, you know, rather tired ideas, not tired, but well-tread ideas about fear of growing old and finding a place in a larger world and whether or not God's real and like all these kind of things that, you know, yeah, they're conversations that have happened forever, but that doesn't mean that they can't be compelling here. But that it did not land for you, huh? No, I wish I had more chores to do during this wow. movie. I spent most of the movie on my phone. I found it. Well, okay, that's not fair. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was so bored by this movie. Okay. Uh, I, I get it. Like, if I was 21, I would probably like this movie. When um, did you first see it? Only a couple of years ago when the third sequel was coming out. Right. And I was like, before midnight. Cool. All right. Don't have to see the sequels. <laughs> right. They're surprisingly, in many ways, similar and other ways different. Obviously. Um, have you what? Have you seen other Linklater? Yeah, yeah. I've seen Waking Life and okay. the other Waking Life. Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Um, Days and Confused. Days and Confused. Yeah. I've seen. Um, School of Rock. School of Rock. I like School of Rock. Wait, yeah. that's a link later? Film? Yeah. Solid. I don't know anything that he's done, but I've seen School of oh, Rock. I've yeah, seen, School of um, Rock's great. I really like Beavis and Butthead Do America. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. I, forgot I actually that. think that that's like a far superior like slacker period film. Well, I mean, uh, his slacker period film is slacker, right? Like that's, that's Slackers or Suburbia, right? He, did he do that one too? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. He did. Yeah. yeah. I like I mean, Slacker to me feels like... Slackers, it, right? No, just Slacker. Slacker? Yeah. Okay. The one that in Austin? Where it's just like, that, that one to me feels the most like just guy with a camera wandering around in the city that he happens to live in. <laughs> just like filming people having conversations and then like drifting over here and filming these other people having conversations. It's like the most extreme example of that kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. um, in, in his, his repertoire. Um, and I, I'm glad that I, he got more focused as he went along, but there's still like space for Slacker, I think. Yeah. I. 
I like some of these films. I, th I think um, I, I think they're definitely reflections of their time. I think he's oh yeah. He's like the most '90s director I think that we've like watched here. <laughs> that we've watched. Um, yeah, yeah pr quite possibly. Um, but he's still active, right? The uh, less I, I think his films are like. Less, I, I mean, I guess before Midnight actually got a lot of yeah. notice. It did. So, yeah, so, did he is. so did Boyhood. He's like active. Oh yeah, Boy, Boyhood. Boyhood got a lot of more attention than anything else he's done, probably. Yeah, yeah. So he's and, like put himself on the map. And, and I like everybody wants some. I realize like most people don't, but like I thought that movie was was a hoot. I never saw it. Yeah. It's Days and Confused in college. But sure. Yeah, and that's great. <laughs> I, I remember liking Days and Confused a lot. I haven't seen it in. Five to ten years. Okay, but, you should watch. Uh, Everybody wants something because it's pretty, like the most direct sequel he's had. Sure. To that movie, it's good. Um, I just don't find these characters or like conversations interesting. It feels very much like I, I do like this film's sincerity. I like. I don't think this is uh, like it, it's nice that like they they actually like the characters do seem to like believe in what they're talking about. I think the script does as well. Yes. This has an actual script, which I think is why it's better than Lost in Translation. Right, but it feels like it doesn't, right? Like, yeah. Like when yeah. you sit down and just watch it, 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 there's such a naturalist style of acting sure. and filmmaking here. Totally it well doesn't. well acted. Yeah. Um, I just like do not find this interesting like whatsoever. And I actually, this watch through the Ethan Cock character like started to set off like red flags for me, whereas like this woman should not be with this guy. <laughs> like he's potentially like a very dangerous person, uh, and I don't. I actually it occurred to me that this is actually like a pretty good prequel to The Purge. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> where this Ethan Hawke character is shown twice to be like quite cruel to homeless people or, or to have disdain for homeless people. He, he, he's a very skeptical person. He's a yuppie yeah. traveler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I could totally see that like 15 years later this guy just falling into like a home security job and like totally <laughs> being fine with the purge. There are also like uh, other Americans in the film talking about how like how society is in decline. Yes. Yeah, like, like towards the end. Yeah, when they're I thought that. that was hilarious. They yeah. were like yeah. in a cafe, and their complaint was that they weren't getting service, and that they would get service faster in New York, which is like a complaint that I've made multiple times in Europe because they take two hours to like, give you your check. <laughs> and this movie was made, you know, twenty-five years ago. Yeah, yeah. nothing's changed in Europe, I guess. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Well, we like missed like something that we wanted to do in the evening because they took so long to give us far our check. better job protections in Europe for uh, right. wait staff. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, yeah, I just like. Could totally like this. This is actually like a pretty good depiction of like the issues of what we define as like Gen X, where it was like yes. people who were upper upper middle class had a lot of money to travel, are totally listless because they're just completely alienated from capitalism as everybody is, but they have the money to like protect themselves from the worst the, of it. The worst of it. Yeah. Um, have like lack any meaning in life and as such can only find meaning in sort of vapid relationships between like Gen X people. Um, and yeah, like I don't find well, the we, characters like, com like I don't connect with these characters at all. Yeah. Like they, there's, there's nothing wrong with their lives. Like, No, and I, I don't think that they're, I don't think this movie pitches them as like sad people. No, right. they're, not, they're not sad at all. They're, no, well, like, what would they have to be sad? Exactly, about? right. Everything and so I, I don't. We're, as a, again, as opposed yeah. to Lost in Translation, where they really are. Both of those people are are 
are like borderline catatonic. Yeah. They're, they're so depressed. Whereas I think this movie, it, the, it's not so much complaining about, you know, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. My parents are finding these, that want me to go be a doctor or whatever. As it is like a genuine curiosity about the world. No, it's like definitely just like young people like feel, feeling out these topics and like yeah. having real conversations about and, them. Yeah, and, and I, I think I like that, that about it. Then? Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. I just like don't, I don't, I don't think they like meet any interesting depth or go to like a challenging place or I, like. <laughs> no, it, it's what is interesting depth then? What would people talk about that wouldn't be vapid? I mean, if they had like any sort of like radical ideas, like how to change their life or make their lives better, they don't. I don't know. They seem to lack that completely. Yeah. It, okay. Or I mean, the society, which they sort of agree, which is like something that they don't feel their own place or have an interest in, like joining. Right, yeah. and I think that for a lot of people that is the beginning of a more radical mode of thinking. Yeah. But I think it's not so much the content of the conversations that's compelling, but just like that they're having them, right? Like, and I think that that to me is, is, takes kind of a humanist approach to these kind of people. It's, it would be very easy to make a movie about how young people have dumb conversations and are and, and you know shallow discussions about stuff that people have been talking about forever. Mm -hmm. And I like that this movie isn't doing that. I like that, it, I, I like that Linklater is taking it seriously and, and, and treating them with like some sort of you know, respect. And yeah, I, I said earlier, like, I appreciate the sincerity of this Right, film. right. And I think that I, maybe I'm placing more value on that than you are. Um, but I, I like that a lot. Like, I think that that goes a long way for me here in, in this movie. Because it, it's true that like, the conversations they they have about like you know whether or not God exists it's like okay like we've all been we've had that conversation before but I think that the script finds ways to make those conversations revealing of the characters in ways that are unexpected right so like the beginning of the movie like the first conversation they have is about fear of growing old it's like, okay right but the beginning of the movie you have the Ethan Hawke character who's the adventurous one, right? Like he's the one that invites her off the train, he, he pitches this idea to her, he's the one that's traveled to a new country and is like doing all these adventurous things. And you realize over the course of the film that he's really a very fearful character, right? And a, and a, and a very skeptical character. Whereas Celine, the Julie Delphi character, is much more of a romantic, right? She's the one that approaches the, the palm reader. She's the one that's excited about the guy that's the, the writing poet? poetry, <laughs> yeah, right? Like she, and she's, she's in a lot of ways more of the romantic. And I like that this movie feels structured, or, or is structured in a way, but doesn't feel structured, right? And I think that he, Linklater and the scriptwriters reveal that through these conversations in a way that makes the conversations themselves less important, like the content of the conversations less important, and what they reveal about the characters more important. And I like this very character-focused mode of storytelling and anti-narrative mode of storytelling. I think it's interesting to watch film do something like that. I don't know. You liked this movie, though, Charles. Like, what? Yeah. How did, like, did you read these characters as, I don't know, it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Crossman, but selfish or vapid or, like, how did they land for you as people? Um, I don't know if I got that feeling from them. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how I would describe them. Um, I mean, we talked about how genuine they seem, right? And yeah. I appreciated that about it. Um, 
Yeah. Um, right, and I think that that is uh, again link later to a T. Because the other the other movie that he did that you want to talk about genuineness. Is, anybody seen Bernie? The other one he did with Jack Black. Great movie. It's about a funeral director in Texas that murders a lady, <laughs> and it's really really good and funny. Um, is it different from Weekend at Bernie's? Yes. Yes, very. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you you have seen it, Bernie? Uh, no, but I've I've heard good things about yeah, it. Yeah, because it's, it's evidently based on a true story to yeah. some degree or another. I've seen Weekend at Bernie's. Okay. Okay. And the yeah. sequel. <laughs> this is I have not seen the sequel. What's the sequel? Another Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, yeah, it involves. Wait, is it actually called that? Um, <laughs> I was making that up. I think it's just Weekend at Bernie's too. Okay. <laughs> uh, they go to like Jamaica or the Caribbean or somewhere. And what do they bring the dead guy with them? Or they find a different dead guy. I, th I think it's like a <laughs> like a two days later sequel. Oh, okay. And so the, the body. Then it's like definitely not the weekend anymore. Revived by uh, by voodoo. Okay. Yeah. Wait, then he's not. So he's not dead. Well, in the way that <laughs> like he's moving around. This sounds very stupid. Yeah, the original was stupid too. Yes. I don't know if you saw it, but no. <laughs> uh, I believe it. Um, what, what I another. The thing that I like about this movie in terms of like how it fits into Linklater's larger career, it seems like it brings together two ideas that he's very concerned with in youth and time, right? Like all of his movies are about youth and time. And so you see Boyhood, where, I mean, the movie's literally called Boyhood, also made over the course of 12 years. The, the whole trilogy, uh, the before trilogy here, takes place over the course of time, kind of in real time. Um, you have the Days of Confuse very concerned with, and everybody wants them very concerned with youth and what it is to be a young person. And I think that this film, obviously concerned with youth insofar as it's about two young people talking about young people stuff, but I like how the form of the narrative reinforces that combination of youth and time in a way that really evokes the experience of looking back on your youth. Because in the experience of being young, it is very long, because it is the only thing you know, right? While you are young, that is the entire world. Looking back on being young, it is very brief, mm -hmm. right? And I think the experience of this movie is for the audience and the characters is that you have an entire night to fill, nothing specific to do during that night. You wander around in the city with no plans, and it feels like you have this little drop of eternity forever, and then you get to the end of the night and you realize that oh this one night that was lasting forever is actually one night and that's the end of it and I like that about the film right that it the experience of watching the film is similar to both the experience of youth and the experience of looking back at youth at the same time mm -hmm. and I think that that's again a clever structure in a movie that feels so unstructured yeah I think that's something that I appreciated about the discussions is they seem very self-aware of the situation I guess because they yeah. kept referring to what was going on and like how relationships tend to progress um, and like you know the advantage and disadvantages of just having their one night together mm -hmm. and um, you know similar discussions for like the progression of life and all that kind of thing but I, I guess I appreciated that about their discussions right and, and you could even see them recognizing the value of just that one night being the one night and the push-pull between do we try to reconnect again or do we not yeah. like would that spoil something like that that from, from the beginning of the movie where he, the um, the Jesse character pitches to Celine that she, he's doing her future husband a favor 
by not being the guy that got away because they're going to have this time together, right? Like they're constantly. I like that he pitched it yeah. as sort of time travel. Right. I thought that was yeah, and it's a cute. nice way to put it. Because that's how this movie feels now, right? Because it's it's a movie that could only take place in the '90s, really, and it's a, a movie that is very much. Like you're like both of these actors are still active, right? Like you you are looking back in time at them, and I, I it, so I, I, this movie gets called like formless or scriptless or whatever, and I think it's not, right? Like I think mm-hmm. that we're giving short shrift to how well put together this movie is, right? And really how how thoughtfully it's it's built, um, and I, I I like that and I respect that about it. Uh, I remember, I remember liking Days and Confused a lot. That's and great. I think that there's just like a lot more, like it's there's this like event, there's like this moment that it's like, yeah, well, there's like it, it deals with it. about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge cast. Yeah, um, and I, I felt like it like captured its like time really well. Yes, but, but it's very much that's much more of like a pop sensibility movie. Like there's there's good music in it. There's you know it's. Very it, much a period piece. Although this one is, uh, well, I mean, this one's like a period piece. It now. technically isn't, yeah. right? Because it takes place when yeah. it was made. Um, but yeah, like, well, Days and Confused, like, it's so concerned yeah. with the fashion as well, right? Like, yes. you're very aware of like how people are presenting themselves in yeah. that movie. There's like a stylization to that movie yeah. that it makes it like very enticing. Right. Whereas this, uh, whereas before the before trilogy is much more naturalistic, right? Like just the way that it's shot. I think it's also like yeah. pretty. Well, reflective of the 90s, too, yeah. where it's just like, I think we've had this conversation about Clueless, where it was just like lacking in style and <laughs> substance. Yes. And I think this movie like does a good job of like capturing that. I think it's very much a grunge movie, even though there's like no grunge music in it. Although there's the one like kind of faux Kurt Cobain uh, yeah. scene, yeah, which that's right. was like pretty well places this movie in. The early to mid '90s, right? Well, Celine had a yeah. sort of flannel sweater thing, right? That's true. <laughs> yes, that went in various places on, along her body. And um, <laughs> Hawk wears the, like the worst uh, turtleneck sweater. <laughs> yeah, I like. I had a hard time looking at it because I was just like, it feels so uncomfortable <laughs> to even like look at. At least he got yeah. rid of it. Well, and the, he does the, get rid of it, and then he puts on a leather jacket and just wearing a t-shirt, which is like so nineties. Yes, like, it is. It's great. Yeah, it's so Ethan Hawke. It really is. I think. I think this is an accidental like grunge movie. <laughs> right. Well, because it's yeah. so it's so much which, drawing on its own era, right? Which is really hard to do. Which right? Linklater like is very much like he's uh, good at of it. that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, you see it most clearly in Boyhood, right? Like one, of, like one of the under-discussed, another Ethan Hawke movie, one of the under-discussed things about Boyhood, I think, is the incidental, like, pop culture signals mm-hmm. in that movie, right? Because did you see Boyhood, Charles? I did not. Okay, so it's the movie that he made that over the course of 12 years with the same cast, so they naturally Yeah, that just, I'd heard about. Okay, so they aged over time. And, like, it was, so I watched this movie when it came out two or three years ago, whatever it was, and this... Like one in one of the early scenes, the kid is like playing with a Game Boy Color, <laughs> and it's yeah, not like yeah. a it's supposed to be a thing, but like it is now, right? Like it's a very clear like signal as to what era this yeah. th- when this is being made, um, and so I, I think that Linklater is really good at that. Like he he's good at like signaling an era and like figuring out the essence of an era while he's in it, and like that's really hard, that's hard to do. Like that like being being that aware of your Time is tough, like, and there's there's a reason a lot of directors don't 
aren't able to do that. Yeah, I think the decade seems to have like really lacked an opposing ideology to its counterculture, other than just like the complete meaninglessness of like American life. That seems to be like what it's embracing. Yes. Which is like very much the like motif of Nirvana. It was just like we're young. Bah, like, <laughs> screw it. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that make you uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah. Which is like when you're a teenager, that like speaks to you so much because you're like, I feel uncomfortable and out of place too because I'm I'm a teenager. Right. And uh, and Linklater doesn't ridicule that. Right. In like this is a little more mature than that. Though, yes. But this it, is like people in their twenties. But this is like adults that would have engaged with Nirvana. I'm right, sure that and taken I'm, that seriously. Yeah, I'm sure that Jesse is a yeah. huge Nirvana fan. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, no question. Yeah. I'm sure he's very into Nirvana. If not Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Right. Yeah, yeah hopefully Nirvana. Um, but <laughs> careful, you might alienate our our Pearl Jam listeners. There's not for us, but they're like very serious Pearl Jam. They just sold out the I know they're the huge. baseball stadium in in Seattle. Right. Well, the thing is that if yeah. Kurt Cobain hadn't died, that Nirvana would be selling out baseball stadiums. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Without, without a doubt. Yeah, they would be, uh, you know, the who of uh, if we're lucky. What the who is doing right now? Yeah, if, if we're yeah. lucky, that's where they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what I it, it, it's I didn't do this on purpose, but I think it's appropriate that we watch this right after Fargo, because you have the Coen brothers who have like overt hostility to almost all of their characters and almost all of their movies, as opposed to Linklater, who has a deep affection for his characters and his setting and his mm -hmm. cultural artifacts. Yeah. Um, which again, I think is, Charles might be what you're identifying here and what makes this movie so lovely, um, mm -hmm. especially right after watching Fargo, right? Is that <laughs> you have this guy who is so clearly and sincerely concerned with the people that he's depicting and what those people represent and who those people represent. Um, and, I, uh, and of course that's attractive, right? Like of course we like watching that. Mm -hmm. it, it makes, that makes perfect sense to me. One thing I appreciated about this movie, well, one thing I was impressed by, I guess, was when they're like sitting on the train mm -hmm. and they're just riding on the train and having this long conversation, right? And I'm wondering how they made that scene, because like it's probably scripted. <laughs> yeah. It's probably scripted dialogue, right? Because yes. like it's a long thing that they have to say, and it depicts like it, it gives information about their character and mm -hmm. like has interesting stories and things like that. And they're just riding the train, and like life goes on around them, and. Yeah, I guess they just rode the train over and over, uh, for, repeating the For sure, lines. it's a it's a single camera. Too. Yeah, they do so it all at once. It's a long sequence. No, too. no, no, no. It, they make edits, so you see, okay. It's a single camera shot, so you see one character, and then the other character responds, and the edit is from the other direction. So they, for sure, recorded the whole conversation, and then set up the and camera the other angle, and then recorded the whole conversation again. Uh, yeah, okay. I yeah. thought I remember it being from just one static camera angle the no. whole time through. You guys, no, they, they make though. edits. You guys might be talking about two different scenes, because um, there's the one. I mean, when they're on the 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 trolley in yes. Vienna, and they're in like the very back. That I'm was sure that was all. Yes, one that's shot. possibly one one shot. But yeah, yes. they're they're just riding it around. But yeah. they have <laughs> similar technical difficulties as to shooting on the train, which yeah. Yeah, that one, the scene you're talking about, it's, I think, also very memorable. Um, and yeah, it does feel like it's just they're on the streets of Vienna 
Like, and it's such a great scene. It's, I, I, I love that sequence. And I love how much trust that Linklater has in his actors during that sequence, right? That they can sustain this conversation and have it be involving, at least for most of us, yeah. um, for <laughs> the whole time. And just like, you can find these little acting choices that Delpy and, and Hawk are making, and it's, it, it's really excellent work. Um, and then I think it's buttressed later on when they go to the record store <laughs> into the listening booth and they listen to whatever the hell song that is and you can see like that that he fixes the camera very close on both of his actors in this cramped space for a long time like we hear most of that song and it's really just them listening to music together and like that's the scene and I like that Linklater is brave enough to like shoot that and also put it in the movie right mm -hmm. like that's no, I wish they had shot the whole, like them listening to the whole track. Yeah, the edit you, you felt, thought it cut too, too edit soon. Felt cowardly. To oh, me. interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A wow. I was like, come on, like you're. If you're gonna do it, do it. Like you're a better director. Like. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I think that's yeah. one of the things I, I respected about this movie is that he did have so many long shots. No, I. For that scene in particular, I was okay. like, this could be so much better if they just like did the whole song. Just stuck with it? Okay. It's so much more meaningful that way, right? Okay. You see them like taking the whole I'd be curious thing. to see it that way, because that, that, that footage must exist. Yeah. Right? Like, he probably has It's already them. a pretty long sequence. I mean, yeah. I think you get the idea after all that, right? Well, sure, but I, I think that the, like, the effect of an edit is very powerful, mm -hmm. right? And I'm just trying to imagine it how would, it would look like if they actually went to the end of the song. Right, and like, what do they do at the end of it? And like, yeah. you have yeah. the arc of the song within these two characters. I, I, maybe it would have it would have played differently. That's for sure. Yeah, um, the movie made me think of The Graduate a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um, where there's there's definitely this like young person's like crisis mm -hmm. in The Graduate, but I I, I find The Graduate so much more compelling because there's so much like movement well, I mean, to it. The, the graduate's like a top 25 all-time movie, at least. <laughs> yeah, but like, they, this definitely like evokes that, and so like you stand it, The comparison stand is worthwhile. Yes, like, yeah, I know, I, I hear you. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think there's like a lot more interesting and like better stuff happening in The Graduate. Like I find The Graduate character much more compelling, because like his crisis is like so externalized, and he's able to like deal or not deal with, mm -hmm. like, the thing that is happening in his life. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, not in... I, I just don't feel like the weight here, like... Like, because the, the crisis in in The Graduate is, like, he... I mean, we know, we know we what happens, it. but, he, yeah. like, he falls in love with, with this woman, and, and to him that's, like, <laughs> so incredibly important, and he has to, like, essentially ruin his life to, like, fulfill that love right. here. And I really like the stakes of that movie, and I just like don't. I like the yeah. intimacy of this movie, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that that I, I like that it's not about a life and death thing. I like that it is properly scaling what's going on here while still respecting the experience of the people experiencing it, right? And I think that we can value both of those things. Because like Graduate's an all-time great movie for me. Like I, I absolutely love that movie, yeah. so I'm, I'm not interested in knocking it. Um, but I think that. In terms of what the characters are experiencing and how we're supposed to understand what they're experiencing, these these two movies have very different goals, and I think that mm -hmm. they're just interested in different things. Even if they're they are still movies concerned with youth and crisis of youth and what it is it, it means to face getting older 
as a very young person. Yeah, and this movie like definitely sets out its it's like its thesis at the beginning of sure. the movie where he like he describes this like essentially a reality show that he would shoot. It's Truman on, Show. Uh, he invents the, yeah. he invents the Truman Show. <laughs> yeah, <that's> Truman. <laughs> <laughs> he invents the Kardashians. Really, yeah, where it's just like yeah, only dumber. <laughs> yeah, um, but the, the movie is like very much saying like this is this is like yeah, our, life. Yeah. our uh, central message here is like this is just like a moment and over time. Right. This is this um, a slice of life story. Yeah. Yeah. And and the graduate's not right. Like the graduate isn't about saying like here is one incidental moment in this guy's life. It's like, here's a critical moment in this guy's life. No, but I think, well, I think the graduate in some <laughs> ways to me is like more intimate because like what, mm. what is happening in the graduate is like how you feel as a young person internally about your relationships yeah. is externalized by this character where like mm -hmm. you, 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 you do crazy things right. and like internally as a young person you think about doing those things and sometimes and this you guy's act actually on doing them it. and this guy's like, well what if you just like did the thing that you actually like wanted to do? Um, and he learns that like from an older woman. It's like, okay, I should just act out and get the things that I'm like trying to get. Um, and that that to me is much more interesting because like we're seeing like his, his like crisis in motion. Whereas like the, these characters have like a similar issue, but it's contained and bound uh, up on the inside. And, and yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. disagree with you. Yeah. I, I think you, we can just have both and enjoy both. Yeah, that's fine. I just like yeah. don't find. Like, <laughs> I, I think I actually think that's a really good read of the graduate. Yeah. Um, but I just don't. It's like great. That's a good read, and this is also a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true. I, just I, doesn't I, find this this side of it interesting. Apparently guess, not, right? and that's okay. I mean, that's fair. That's okay. Yeah, I, again, I think if yeah. I were like 20 or 21, I would probably like this movie a lot. I would find it very meaningful. Yeah, I actually, um, I came to this movie relatively late in life, too. I probably watched it, again, like two or three, no, not longer ago than that, but like four or five years ago. Yeah. It still landed for me, man. I was 25 or 26 at the time, so mm. I was a little older than these people. And I don't know, it still really worked for me, and it worked for me this time around, too. Yeah. One last negative about this movie. Oh, like, please, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I checked. I checked the reviews because the reviews are online for this movie because yeah. it was in '95, so people were like actually posting movie mm -hmm. reviews at that point. And I've every single one. So I read the Roger Ebert one and the Pete Travers mm -hmm. one, and both of them described it as like being a smart movie. And I think it is. I, <laughs> I, I think the things, the way the movie wants to be perceived as smart, like so badly. And the characters want, specifically Jesse wants to be perceived as smart, right? Yeah. But like the way the character wants to be perceived is different than what the movie is. And I think what is smart about the movie is that they know, the movie knows and Linklater knows that Jesse is kind of full of shit, but that's okay. And when it starts to reveal, he, what, was he, what was he talking about? I mean, it, it, I can't it, remember the like discussion like specifically. And right, and, and right, and he's yeah. skeptical about everything. It's just, yeah. just kind of an asshole move in that, in that moment, right? And he he talks about how like like when he starts talking about his breakup and things like that, it gets into some you know maybe not great areas or or his dumb Truman Show idea, right? Like he has these moments that are childish, mm. and that's fine, right? And I I like that Linklater both. I've said this before already, but respects that, but also finds moments where Jesse starts to kind of realize that himself and realize that maybe he needs to reveal a little bit more of who he is other than this affectation of intelligence and profoundness and this affectation of high skepticism of everything. 
And I like that he that, that Linklater can start digging into that, which is really what youth is about. It's about it should when you're doing it in a healthy way, it should be about breaking down those affectations. And I think that you start to see that here. And to me, that's really smart, right? That's a smart thing for Linklater to do, and for mm -hmm. the and for the the writers to do here. Um, so I I agree that yeah, the characters aren't smart, but I think the movie is or or they're not smart in an adult way they're smart in like a, a 23 year old way and that's okay yeah that's how it strikes me yeah and i think yeah. that's fine yeah um, i want to talk about the end of the very very end of the movie like after they get on the train and we have these static still shots of the morning after of all the locations that they had been to throughout yeah, the really, movies i really like that yeah well talk about that thing because i really like that too what did you feel about it well it was it was really wonderful to like revisit all these locations and suddenly like all the memories of the night are coming back right and mm -hmm. it's sort of that sensation of like reminiscing on a great time even though it's like right after like yeah. i love like that kind of feeling and i do that all the time about like you know other great nights i've yeah. had and things like that right so it gave you that sensation right on the spot and it's it's like wonderful that he managed to accomplish that right. in such a short period of time right and, and i like that like it, it's such a great example of like the difference between like taking pictures, right, photography, and I mean like photography in the, in the film sense, not like photography that you would hang in a museum, and cinema, right, where it becomes cinema when you have the picture combined with meaning, right, combined with the content of the narrative that you're telling it in, right, because if you take those shots and you hang them on the wall somewhere, they're pretty, right, and they look nice and they're well framed and they're well balanced and they're, they're lit appropriately, but they, evoke the feeling you're describing because we've seen the entire movie up until now. Yeah. Right? And I think that those handful of just still shots of the stuff we've already seen it, it very starkly illustrates that idea, that this has a different meaning because we're placing it in a context, in a context that has substance to us. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I remember the last time I watched this movie and it was just, as soon as you see just an alleyway with some pallets and like one of those rolling wooden things, it's like you remember exactly them sitting there, right? Or you, you remember exactly them overlooking that same boulevard or in that yeah. graveyard or whatever it was. And I don't know, it worked, it, it, it was evocative, right? It was, it was felt. Yeah, I like it a lot. This movie's 100% around Rotten Tomatoes. Of course it is, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Actually, that's very surprising because I figure that somebody would come along. Usually there's a spoiler. Nope. Especially for Even like Pete you figure like the, the critic yeah. type would love to talk about how meaningless the dialogue is no, or something. I, I like think that. in the 90s this is like a well regarded movie. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I, if someone had told me in, you know, 1996 that this had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, that would be very believable. But I yeah. like RT posts newer reviews too. So I figure like somebody would come along and say like, remember that bullshit <laughs> before Sunrise movie? Yeah, no, that's, there's, there's that's nonsense. People still like it. Well, yeah, people like me. I um, <laughs> I've uh, paused the film at the very beginning. My TV like tells you like who's in the scene. Sure, the, on the Amazon thing. Yeah. The uh, sleeping man is Adam Goldberg on the train. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> the Hebrew hammer himself. <laughs> that's yeah. okay. I, I thought that was funny. That is funny. I thought he was, and I was like, oh, are we going to like see this character again? No. no. <laughs> I like how many characters yeah. we meet and then never see again. Like they, yeah. they, we, they have those like German, like the most stereotypical German <laughs> dudes in the world. <laughs> they have like yeah. their weird play about the cow. He and tries to make a joke and it falls flat. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they just like describe their crazy play and that's it. <laughs> and then we never see them again. With their thick accents. Right, like yeah. almost comically absurd 
uh, very true to life. I mean, you go and travel and you run into random yeah. characters like that and sometimes. never see them again. Yeah, and then you right. just keep going. Exactly. Do you want to watch the sequels? There's two? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're both very, very good. I wish I hadn't looked up this movie in online discussions because some of the comments were a little spoilery about what happens in the next few movies. Yeah. Um, but I'm very curious about like how their relationship develops and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, I haven't seen them since the last time I watched this a while ago, and I think I want to go back to them. They're, mm -hmm. they're really good. They're both really good. Um, so I've intentionally avoided discussing them here so yeah. as to not uh, spoil anything. But any event, any, uh, any closing thoughts on Before Sunrise? Anything we haven't covered yet? I've said my piece about it. Yes, you have. You, <laughs> and I hear your points. Like, yeah. I, I, and most of them I don't even disagree with. Um, so it's it's well heard. I'm I'm stunned that you liked this movie, Charles. <laughs> I, I thought this was one of those ones that's like a very selfish pick on my part. <laughs> yeah. like Charles was in Vienna recently, right? That's and you true. had a good time. I didn't go to Vienna. I did go to Salzburg. Oh right, uh, which we talked about yeah. with um, some music. music. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, the um, much prettier Austrian town. Yeah, well, it's I mean, rather pretty. Mountains, yeah. Right, yeah. like it's yeah. tough to compete. Up there. Yeah. Tough to compete. But yeah, I, I think I might romanticize the movie a little bit because like it's a I, romantic movie yeah it is yeah. it is certainly but I like you know imagine myself as if I were Ethan Hawke's character sure. I guess and like having this wonderful night with this beautiful woman and like you know that that certainly helps me enjoy the movie yeah. a lot more and, and that's what that's what film is supposed to do yeah right like you're supposed to be imagining what it is like yeah to be this person right that you're supposed to be what is the experience that they are It seems like an experience that I would love to be able to have and that like it makes me sad that it might it might be something I never get to experience you know? well in the next movies they're older so you yeah, well, still have time yeah. um, anyway I'm, I'm really glad you liked it I'm surprised and glad um, so good I, I'll yeah. be curious if you do watch the next one I'll be I'll be curious to hear what you think um, in any event we will be back uh, in a moment with things we've seen all right and we're back with things we've seen. Uh, this is our segment where we discuss more recent movies, um, often in theaters or that we watched at home, um, outside of the assigned reading um, for <laughs> for the podcast. Uh, Crossman, what did you see this week? Anything good? Uh, yeah, I saw the Battle of Algiers. Oh, okay. Um, which, which I've not seen, but I want to see. Historically important film. Uh, it's a very interesting movie. It's shot. Um, so it's based on the events which led to the decolonization of Algeria, um, or sorry, Algeria or Morocco. Um, but the, so the French had occupied uh, Northern Africa um, and were, had um, a pretty like brutal, like all colonies, like pretty like brutal thumb on, uh, on Algeria and, and Northern Africa. And uh, this, film uh, depicts the uh, sort of growing unrest in Algiers and eventual like uh, uh, terrorist attacks that start breaking out and then the uh, French military comes in to put down the, uh, the uprising. Um, and it's about that. It's, it's shot in a very interesting way where the scenes are placed in very specific moments in time. So it'll be like, okay. Uh, the scene will start and it'll show like a date in the year that it's happening and then it'll be like a reenactment of like the thing that happened on that day and so you there's this like slow and steady ramp to violence as the uh, colonized people um, there, there's like a group of, of freedom fighters who 
start organizing like terrorist attacks and they uh, blow up a uh, cafe and it's uh, like it's shown. Um, uh, what's interesting about the film though is that it's like very even handed or if not to the point of like being on the side of the violent uprising. Um, it very much shows that like how poorly the people in Algiers are, are were being treated um, to the point where they were essentially slaves for the French who were taking resources and um, making a lot of money off, off of North Africa. Um, and it, it shows like a pretty brutal like back and forth like military campaign between the French army and the people of Algiers. And, um, and then, um, spoiler, eventually they like <laughs> got their freedom, but the, the, the movie kind of um, ends at a moment where it, it doesn't seem like that's gonna be the thing, and then it, it shows that like, oh, and then five years later they, they, like, they, got they eventually get their freedom. Um, so the movie's more concerned about the, uh, the uprising itself right. than it is with the like, eventual success of, of that uprising. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I, I think the sort of thesis statement of the movie is to show the cruelty of uh, colonialism, colonialism yeah. first of all, and to show that like a violent reaction to that is, uh, is, is correct and, and can lead to your freedom. Yeah. But at, at what cost, I think, is the question of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, beautifully shot. It's in black and white, mm -hmm. and it's so stark. Uh, it, it's such a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's an amazing shot when the French march into Algiers, when their military marches into mm -hmm. Algiers, because the local police couldn't handle the uprising eventually. Um, the the, I don't know if he's a general, but like the commander of the armed forces that comes in, he's just walking in front and all the, the military is like marching behind him and he's wearing these like very 60s hip like sunglasses oh. in this like camo. It's amazing shot. Interesting. Um, it's, it's really a stunning film. Um, when was it made? In the late 60s or like okay. early 70s. So pretty close to like the when the events. actual events of the film happen and the as such the film was actually banned in France for five years um, mm -hmm. and yeah the French did not like this <laughs> film but it shows you know how, how um, what they did and what yeah. they did was horrific really. yeah, yeah like uh, French occupation of North Africa goes back to at least Napoleon like before it was Emperor Napoleon even and yes, yeah, like yes. this is yeah, long history. Yeah, they occupied Egypt for a long yep. time, and yeah, um, before he abandoned his men there. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great film. I think it's actually shown at the military academy in the U.S. Like it's like required watching. Why for the? Well, to see like what an uprising is like. And, really? Yeah. It's like how to put it down. <laughs> like, it's like, no, I, I think it's a show like the. Well, I don't know why. I, I, I haven't done that much research into okay. it. But I think it's like required watching at like the U.S. Naval Academy or something. I don't, uh, or Marine. I don't know. Whatever. Right um, after Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, this film doesn't pull any punches too. Like it shows the torture of people. It looks pretty realistic. Um, and it, it shows uh, the bombing, the results of a bombing. And Damn. 
It's yeah, it's an intense film to watch, but okay. it's one. It, it's been on my list for a while, and it's just one of those ones I never got around to. It's a very compelling film. Bump it up the list, I guess. Yeah, it's okay. really, really worth watching. Okay, um, I'll check it out. Yeah, cool. What did you see, Charles? I saw Eighth Grade, which yeah. uh, I believe Wilson has talked about before. It was great, um, but I quite enjoyed it. Um, I had more thoughts about this compiled a week ago, but it's been a while. But uh, Let's see, I really got into the main character and her struggles. Um, I guess I could identify a bit with um, the kind of social struggles that she had. Um, you want to talk I about mean, an intimate movie. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I admired that like, she made her video series, which um, like, was really for herself, I guess. It was her giving herself advice yeah. in a way. Um, but I admired that she actually took her advice and was able to act on it in many ways, Eventually. like when she told herself to like be confident and mm -hmm. all you do is just, just make it up, right? You just pretend you have it. And then it shows her like going up and doing the karaoke yes. party, right, at the same time. And I thought that was really powerful because like that's something that I've never been able to make myself do. I've like I tell karaoke. myself, well, no, no, no not literally <laughs> that, but okay. like be confident when I feel like I'm not confident okay. or something like that, right? right. Um, things like, you know, like I'll, I'll tell myself these sorts of things all the time and not be able to actually um, it's hard. execute on yeah. my own advice, right? And it was, uh, you know, I admired that she was able to actually follow that. Um, it was interesting to kind of compare my own youth with hers because, like, you know, the, the advent of technology and smartphones and all that has obviously changed how society operates so much. It was interesting to hear her discussion with the high schoolers who are literally, what, like three or four years older than her, talking about how she's a complete different ge different generation because right. she got Snapchat at a different time or something like that, <laughs> right? And I'm this old dinosaur saying I've never used Snapchat before. Um, that was how do you funny send to think your about. nudes? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see how a lot of the things have changed so much because of technology and how a lot of the... A lot of their situation hasn't changed at all, really. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I wonder how much more brutal it is to be a kid because of the effect of social media on, like, how much more connected you are with everyone. Um, because, like, when you're an adult, like, you, you get the effect of uh, everybody posting their highlight reel, they always say, sure. right? Like, everybody yeah. posts their highlight reel onto the social media, and you feel bad because you know all of the crap that you are dealing with right. on your own right. that nobody posts on, Right. Um, and maybe a kid, you know, hasn't learned to, like, cope with that, and so... Or just doesn't like, I feel that. like, yeah, I yeah. feel like it'd be tough to deal with, like, everybody talking about how awesome their life is and, like, dealing with your own struggles and things like that. Um, and so that was kind of brought up yeah. um, in this movie it's as well. It's central. Like, it's, that's a very important yeah, thing in yeah, this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that was interesting to see. Um, and... Um, there was a scene late in the movie that was like extremely intense and scary. I think you know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about, and that was tough to watch. Yeah. I think a lot of the discussion around the movie said it was like scarier than any horror movie they'd seen. It was. Because it's just so real, and you have no idea what's about to happen. I don't know, should I like spoil the scene, I guess? Have you seen 8th Grade yet? I have. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, like she, she's in a car with one of the high school guys that she had been hanging out with, and he tries to get her to like take her shirt off and yep. stuff, right? And thankfully she's strong enough to rebuff his advances, but like it was a really long and drawn out scene and you're kind of stuck in that back seat with her and with the guy. Um, and and it was extremely uncomfortable You to legit watch. don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, right? you like, have no totally idea how far he's gonna take it. 
that he could have just overpowered her. Yeah, at any moment yeah. he could have done that. And so, it's, like, it really, it, like, put me in the shoes of, like, you know, the, the woman's experience, I yeah. guess, right? Because obviously I never had to deal with this kind of problem, um, but it was really eye-opening for me. Um, yeah, it was really terrifying, and it was really disgusting at the end when he tried to make her feel guilty about, you know, not accepting yeah. um, his advances, and that was really gross. And so, yeah. you know, it really, really puts you in their in their shoes. Right. Like any time. Like that's the that is probably the scene I will think of any any time someone says, "Well, why didn't you just say no?" or "Why didn't she? Yeah. Why didn't she run away?" or whatever like that? Because it it you're so in the character. Like it's relatively late in the film, and like you you are so aware of this character's psyche at this point that why she isn't fleeing, why she isn't objecting is crystal clear immediately. Yeah. Right? Like you know exactly why. And so like it it's so aware and it takes such great advantage of the work that the film has done up until that point to really important effect. Um, so yeah, it was an unforgettable, literally unforgettable. Uh, that that scene. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really good movie. And other than that, pretty funny. I like yeah. his yeah. anti-technology message too. I think it's pretty firmly in the camp of like... Social media is unhealthy. Social media is unhealthy and real human interactions much more interesting and rewarding. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's something else I wanted to remark on was yeah. just how refreshing <laughs> it felt when she actually connected with you know the two people that she really has like what strong friendships with. Like one of them was the high school girl and one of them was <laughs> Um, like the weird kind kid. of nerdy dude, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you could with really the, feel the difference in yeah. her interaction with those two people um, from her interactions with all the other people in the movie, just how sincere and genuine their connection was. And it was so refreshing and so inspiring to yeah. see. It symbolized earlier in the film when she gives the gift <coughs> to the popular girl of, yeah. The, yeah. of the card game. Yeah. yeah. And, and she it's just like, like so... She's like, that's weird. It's like something that you do in person with, you know, like a physical thing that you interact with. Yeah. 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 So I, I, speaking of this, I guess, is tangentially related to this point. But the moment that made me laugh, maybe not the hardest, but that I remember laughing the hardest, is when she's like, look, she's in her bed looking at her phone and like she's looking at her crush on the phone and like getting into it. And her dad like comes in unannounced and she picks up her phone and overhand throws it, throws it across yeah. the room. <laughs> like that, that scene got me. Like that's her reaction is to pick it up and overhand, not hide it, not stick it under the sheets, throw it across yeah. the room. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of get that. <laughs> I, I, it took me by surprise a bit when they made the Rick and Morty reference. Right. Because, like, I've seen the show and all yes, that, right? And, and they started they started just, like, referencing Rick and Morty, and yeah. I, I cracked up at that. Yeah, it just it felt very real, I guess. It did. I, I agree. It, it it, yeah. It was, a, it was almost a fourth wall break, in a way, because it just... <laughs> like, Rick and Morty is in this universe Yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> I just... I, I don't know. I just found that really funny. Yeah. He talked about the Szechuan sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, did he just say that? He did, and she got it immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, I saw a movie this weekend as well. Um, I went and saw Black Klansman, which is the new Spike Lee joint. And I wish I had watched it when we did Fargo. And I'll, the reason is that I think there's something interesting going on here between these two movies in terms of how they deal with true stories. Because right? Fargo has the pitch at the beginning about this is a true story, and it's not. Like, the, whole, the mm -hmm. movie's entirely fictional, no matter what that woman in Japan will tell you. <laughs> Whereas 
Black Klansman has the same disclaimer at the beginning, where they tell you, like, this is a true story. It's based on the memoirs from this actual police officer. The screening I went, went to, Rodden Stallworth, the actual guy, was there before the screening and gave a little interview, and he did not deny this being a true story at all. He said, yep, this is what happened. There's a few details that we changed, but not really, and, like, this is the movie. And so I watched it with that in mind, and <laughs> as a film, it's I mean, it's still Spike Lee. He's a been directing movies for decades. He's a master at this point. He complete control over his craft, right? So it still works really well as a police procedural. It has some very compelling ideas about, like, how, oh, the most interesting thing about the movie is the, the Adam Driver character, who is, the character is Jewish, does not at all interact with his Jewish faith, but ends up, not faith, Jewish heritage, but ends up going undercover with the Klan, who demand that he denounce Jews in racist and explicitly anti-Semitic terms on a regular basis, and he is suddenly very aware of this Jewishness within him that he has since, uh, up until that point, denied or ignored, right? Not even denied, just hasn't been a part of his life, right? And the, the parallels uh, between that and the much more overt awareness that black people carry with them on a day-to-day -day basis and how there is a natural allyship there, right? Like, that, this movie deals with that idea in a very, really compelling, interesting way. It's really the most interesting thing about the film. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, it plays a lot like a normal police procedural, and that's fine, right? Like, if that's what actually happened. Turns out it's not. <laughs> so, like, a ton of shit in this movie was made up. Uh, oh. So, Boots Riley, who directed Sorry to Bother You, had a post on Twitter recently that was long and went pretty much beat for beat about all the things that the writers and the actual guy that did this made up whole cloth in this movie. And pretty much all of them make cops look better. So they skip over the fact that this guy was undercover in a black radical organization for years and years informing on them. That is not in the movie at all. The major climax in the movie is this bomb that the guy, that the hero cop diverts at the last minute to save his radical girlfriend from getting blown up by white supremacists. Didn't happen. Uh, the uh, partner, this Jewish partner, that was the most compelling part of the movie, not Jewish, just a white guy, right? Like there are, like so many things in this movie are changed in order to make cops look better. And that raises many questions. One, why on earth would Spike Lee do that? Um, to, like, like, to how much do we want to discredit the film as a film for those reasons, right? Because there are still things to understand about the movie, like the, the Adam Driver character and the, the, the questions that it raises are still affecting and powerful, even if they're not true. Most movies aren't true. That doesn't mean that we can't draw something real from them, right? So I think it requires a lot of in order to draw something of value from this movie, I think you really have to silo away the film from its context. But is that right? Is that valuable? Is that ethical? And I struggle with that. Um, and I think that Fargo deals with some ideas about that as well, because it's kind of poking fun at true stories and the nature of true stories. Um, but yeah, Black Klansman was a much more troubling movie than I anticipated it being, and I'm kind of disappointed that Spike Lee decided to do this. Um, so I, I, I think I can still recommend it because it's well made and it's good um, on a technical level, uh, but go into it with more awareness of the truth than I had, um, and it'll be a less jarring experience. Anyway, Grossman, what are we watching? It's your pick. Next week, uh, 
would like to watch one of the impetuses for this podcast. Oh, okay. What have we skipped? Uh, which is Beetlejuice. Oh. One of our original <laughs> yeah, you're discussions right. about things Charles hasn't seen. There, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that we noticed was the from, movie Beetlejuice. Like Wait, have we, have we mentioned it like three times during the course of our podcast, and so now it's time to watch it or something? <laughs> we'll have to go back in the, in the archives. I think it's been a while since we brought it up. I, I don't recall bringing it up, period. But okay, Beetlejuice it is. Uh, more Winona Ryder uh, in our life is, is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, uh, please share it with folks. We've gotten some new listeners lately which we, who, to whom we are grateful. Um, so I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you do, please uh, link it on your various social media platforms. And join us link next week. Link it sooner rather than later. Sooner, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and join us next week for Beetlejuice. Thanks.